0: This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. From Monaco to Indianapolis, Le Mans to Daytona, and everywhere in between. This is your one-stop shop for provocative motorsport talk. From the ITA Podcast Network. This is the Into the Paddock Podcast. Into the Paddock Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Into the Paddock podcast. It's been a week where there has been no racing, but don't worry, we have got you covered with story time, I think, in the second half of the show, so be sure to stick around for that, but we do have some news to talk about first. My name is Jordan Groves, and I'm joined by, once again, Mr. Greg Meismer. Hello, Greg. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Howdy, 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 howdy. Howdy, and, howdy, 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 and I am joined by <laughs> Mr. JD Daniel again. Hello, JD. Howdy doody, howdy doody.
2: Do, I, do we need to come up with like a different Probably. thing to say? No, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I love toys. Howdy, 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 howdy.
2: I love. I mean, it. I'm I'm from Texas. It only feels natural.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. I I say howdy an unnatural amount for someone who is British. Anyway, uh, yeah, it feels like um you know last couple of weeks we've had a lot of racing to talk about and now it, it's kind of the the false start before everything really kicks off from next week uh, with, with the daytona 500 did you then. just
2: put a football reference in there
1: did i oh I, said guess I, I guess i did yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's on the brain it's on the brain what a game what a game <laughs> that was, that was. anyway um but we're not here to talk about that um before we get onto story time in the second half, we have some news to talk about. Most of it from the world of Formula One, as more and more cars get launched ahead Beyond. of the 2024 season. And um, let's just say all of these cars would, would have been... They, they wouldn't have been out of place in the days of black and white television. Um, it, <laughs> it, 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 it feels like a throwback in, in a lot of ways. So we'll start off with, like in chronological order...
2: It's it's like when you're when you're playing a game, right, and you're like, you can select your own livery, and it shows the pattern, and you go to the next one, it's just the colors that change, like the stripes.
1: <laughs> and some anyway. of these really do feel like they were made in F123's livery editor. But anyway, <laughs> um, we'll start off in, in, in order of which they've happened. Obviously, last week we spoke about the, um, what did we do last week? The Sauber? Did we get to the Sauber last week? Yep. Um, and Williams. And Williams, yes, correct, yes. Um, So first up this week, we had the Alpine. And uh, we haven't got a ranking of of, of what our favourite liveries are so far, but this definitely isn't the top of it. Um, I feel like the Alpine in particular, just in, in terms of the livery, really does... Encapsulate the cut, the the issue in Formula One at the moment with the lack of weight, um, or or the how heavy the cars are, meaning that they don't have enough weight to play with to paint the cars. Like, this is just you know, if it were in isolation and there were no, don't don't go too hard on
3: alvin One of the paints they revealed was excellent, it just
1: so happens to be in the wrong category. Yeah, yeah, we were going to get to that, yeah, um. Yeah, in isolation, without any other of the cars being painted carbon, it's not a terrible livery. You know, it, in some angles, it looks okay. The renders, right? Shout out to Sean Bull Design who who made these liveries and the renders. They look great. But knowing that most of the field is going to be like this, it's just not. It, it's awful.
2: <laughs> most, but not all. Right. Let's not let's not detract from those that that are putting forth a little bit of effort.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true. But then it's, it's also having an opposite effect where in years past, where all of the liveries would have been painted, the cars that are painted this year would be mid, but because they're painted now, they're like, Oh my yeah. God, they look amazing. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> right. This, this stings
3: a whole lot more because it is Alpine and we know how good they have been at their liveries for the last few years. I'd argue even going back to the Renault days, some of the liveries were legitimately very good and very creative this is just a travesty what they've done to these cars. Like we, you know, the, the all pink cars they've had in years past, they looked freaking awesome. You know, reminiscing of the racing point days, you know, when BWT was on those cars, but now like even their special edition pink car, I can barely tell a
1: difference. Yeah. There is no difference. There is no difference between the two. It's, it's, it's laughable. Um, but other than the actual paint itself, you know, for the the little glimpses we've had of the car, obviously, there's still a lot of room for these cars to change design-wise between now and even pre-season testing, which is next week. Um, but from what we've heard from technical directors, it's a complete rework, basically, of what concepts they've been running. Um, one of the engineers actually said that he believes the only bit that survived was the steering wheel. Um and you know given where alpine is and the targets it's set for itself over the last few years since since the alpine name returned and the, and the renault works team kind of came back you know we we know their targets are to be competing for championships and they are just nowhere near that so on one hand you know throw everything at the wall and see what sticks might work we'll we'll, we'll just have to see you know the the midfield of formula 1 is so incredibly competitive um in retrospect you know by formula 1 levels of competitive anyway you know they're still not racing each other um, they've got a lot to, uh, got, got a lot of work to do so we'll just have to see what they do but a- as you said jd i feel like it was a bad choice in a lot of ways for them to unveil it at the same time as the hypercar because by comparison the a424 is jeff gordon's rainbow warrior like it it's 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 beautiful yeah colors
3: yeah <laughs> It it's yeah. the beautiful alpine blue, just that metallic looking. Oh, chef's kiss, magnificent! Yeah.
2: With it, the with the the digital, you know, glitchy squares in the back. Yeah, all that. Yeah, like, yeah. That That's kind of like
3: design language car. reminds me of the uh, the Mustang GT3 livery a little bit that we've seen at Daytona. Just there like, you go. Yeah, yeah. Just just that digital kind of squares with the colors blending together. There,
1: it looks good. Looks good. It does. It does, and it's a shame. Like I, I, I always like to see synergy between a manufacturer's liveries when, across different championships. We see it a lot with McLaren with uh, across Formula E, Formula One, IndyCar, etc. Um, there's rumours that the this year's Formula One car will be uh, much more similar to the hypercar, like it wasn't Monza last year. I, I love that, especially considering the hypercar is the better one. Um, one other quick highlight to mention from the Alpine launch was the announcement of a reserve driver for the Alpine hypercar squad, uh, <laughs> Jules <laughs> Gounon, who uh, is listed as a Frenchman, even though usually he's sensible and lists himself as an Andoran. Um, but th- he <laughs> he said that this is um, his first foray into his dream of competing in top class. So when you've got Jules Gounon as your reserve...
4: Wow. <laughs>
3: I mean, he's seen all of his buddies go into prototypes now. He's like, I I don't want to miss out on all the fun. I mean, all the other standout GT drivers from the past, like Matt Campbell, Rafael Marcello, you know, they're all going to these GTP hypercars. And, you know, Jules Gunan is just as good as the rest of them. So I'm super excited. I hope we get to see him become a primary driver in the near future, but super excited to see him uh, be involved with the program
1: yeah absolutely so yeah so far you know the alpine f1 livery terrible uh the hypercar livery pretty good um onto another car well a car that's actually painted which again you know i said that mid liveries now look amazing because they're just painted this this falls into that category for me the the v-carb um <laughs> With, with the biggest event to happen in Las Vegas during the week, um, they unveiled the car there. Um, it's, it's a Toro Rosso. <laughs> the the, the livery <laughs> is
2: just a Toro Rosso. With the Visa logo on it, yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: It's a worse Toro Rosso. I, I don't like the white blocks with the red letters, and I think that really takes away from it. I, it, it just looks bad.
1: I, I don't like it. I almost wish it was full carbon. As, as far as the livery goes, I don't hate it. There, there's room for improvement. I've seen many yeah. people change the white blobs um, slightly, and it makes it look a lot better. I, I I agree with you. I think the white does ruin it. But but it, it, it it's they flipped covered. the
3: white and the red. <laughs> so. Yeah, they flipped the white and the red. I think that looks infinitely better. Um, I
1: also liked uh, Tomo's redesign of it on YouTube. Yeah, check out yeah. that video. It was. He he knocked that out of the park yeah uh, i don't particularly like the mixture of the because the visa and the and the red bull logo are silver and then you've got the white i feel like it would have been better if they if the white was silver or if the silver was white like if there was not so much going like, on there but or keep the red bull silver and make the visa white because i don't associate visa with silver do you no not really no <laughs> uh- I also am oh, going to well. really enjoy watching everybody ignore the fact that this car is called a V car, but just call it Hugo instead. Like, <laughs> that just seems much better. But, you know, it's it's funny. For a team that want to be called by this new name, everyone was going to call them Toro Rosso anyway, and then they wheel out a Toro Rosso paint for it. Like, I don't know what you were planning there, but it's not really succeeding. But, you know, it's 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 a, a fair enough livery in a field that might not have many good ones. Um, The more fascinating thing with this, uh, again, a lot of room for development between now and the first race and even testing. But we know that this year is going to be the year that the Red Bull Junior team uh, utilise a lot more of the parts that they are allowed to buy. We know they're going to maximise that, uh, much to other teams' dismay. Uh, And already, you know, we've, we've seen some changes on the car. It's adopted the same... Uh, suspension, uh, pull rod, push rod method that Red Bull has. Um, there's a lot of similarities in terms of just general design, but we I mean, we're going to see a lot of convergence to the Red Bull method because that's what's been working. Um, I feel like this is the team that has the most chance of making a big leap this year, purely based on how much they're going to be sharing. And, and, and even the fact that, there's going to be a large contingent of this team that are going to be stationed at red bulls factory. Now in Milton Keynes, they're going to be moving some people over from Faenza in Italy. They're going to be using the red bull wind tunnel. There's, there's a lot of, uh, there's it stands to reason that this team could be this year's Aston Martin, but we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. They're
3: definitely trying to position that way. And, uh, yeah, I know McLaren and, uh, all the other midfield teams are not happy about the the potential so uh, i guess time will tell you know yuki's starting to get some form we know daniel started to get some form end of last year and they're both top quality very fast tri- drivers when they're on their game so if the car matches the skill might be all red bull podiums in one way or another <laughs>
1: <laughs> god i hope not uh, perez won't be on there anyway um yeah, it's, get, it's going to be interesting. You know, it feels like a, a really badly kept secret that Perez is going to be gone at the end of this year. So, you know, there is the potential that whoever wins the out the fight of the Toro Rosso drivers is going to be the one that gets the seat. Um, there's a lot of people who think that Daniel Ricciardo is going to get it anyway, and I really hope that they don't just mandatorily pick him and allow the battle to decide it. Um, but it, it could get quite interesting. I think... Yuki's going to surprise a lot of people this year when he has a full year to go up against Daniel. It's not amazingly fair to compare them considering how much Daniel's return was stuttered with his uh, injury at Zahnvoort. We know what he's capable of on his day. It's just time to see whether he can do that again. Indeed. Um, From one team that could be this year's Aston Martin to... uh, well, last year's Aston Martin. <laughs> Aston Martin. Um, <laughs> they launched their car uh, today, as we're recording. We are recording on uh, the Monday evening. Um, so far, top marks for being the best car launch so far this year because they had the car unveiled straight away on the live stream, not not after about five years of preamble, and then shortly thereafter, it was lapping at Silverstone in front of a lot of the guests who had been invited. Uh, to to see the launch so top marks for that as far as the car goes it's it's very much a similar design to last year if it feel i think the green is slightly darker i, I like this shade of green this shade of green is good last year's as, yeah. as much as i liked the green it didn't translate very well onto tv screens it, No. It, it just seemed a bit washy it seemed
3: like s- too reflective and like went into like kind of a teal range, and this is yeah. a-, a deeper green. I- I'm a huge fan of that, so uh, yeah, yeah, give it to good. me.
1: It's it's not completely avoided the carbon crisis. Uh, they they have strategically stripped paint off of this thing, uh, particularly from the very like helicopter camera up top. You can see a lot of carbon as opposed to green. However, you know, they've strategically done it from most of the angles that you're going to see the car most of the time. It's, it looks fully painted. So I, I'll give them top marks for making an effort to to make the car look presentable from most angles. Um, it'll be interesting to see, particularly with the, with, with the V-carb as well, you know, given how much that is painted, it'll be interesting to see how much paint it loses over the course of the season. Um, yeah. But we'll just have to see. Um, interestingly with Aston Martin they're in an interesting position right now um, with regards to their future driver lineups um, we know Lance Stroll is he's usually safe in that second seat however the the, um, the Strolls are becoming increasingly less and less the majority shareholders in this team and you've got to wonder how long it will be before maybe those shareholders start calling for someone else if he doesn't improve but then on top of that you've got Fernando Alonso who is increasingly becoming linked to be at Mercedes next year should their top choice who appears to be Kimi Antonelli um, doesn't show what they want over the course of the year so you could very much get to a point next year where there might be two different drivers in this car Mm. Mm. particularly Mm. with the Le Mans effort coming up which we all think is basically a way for Aston Martin to get rid of Stroll without him crying but <laughs> it's a smart move in that. It, yes. It's
2: no, it,
3: I mean, he's going to do good.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think
3: he'd be an excellent sports car driver. And I don't think he's a non talented F one driver. Just
2: it's not his, time you know, right
3: now. Yeah. It's, it's not all, your time, bro. He's, uh, he's living his best life.
1: He is. He is. And we would all be doing the same, I suppose. Um, uh-huh. in terms of the design of this car, again, there's, there's evolutions, uh, the team have said in today's launch that they are really hopeful that this year they will be a lot more on top of the development war. We saw that the car started off really good at the start of the year. You know, the team was second in the Constructors' Championship after Monaco and faded to fifth by the end of the year. Um, they're hoping that with the mistakes they made in pursuing the wrong avenues during development last year that they will, they're, they're confident that the development plan they have will be a lot more um, successful this year. Um, they've also inherited a lot of stuff from Mercedes, uh, a new suspension uh, structure, uh, the the gearbox as well. They, they've they've inherited a lot of of stuff from Mercedes, so it'll be interesting to see how they incorporate that and whether they will be outclassing Mercedes as they were at the start of last year. It, it's, it's it'll be an interesting dynamic to watch once again. But for me, probably the best livery so far, I think.
3: I mean, for for both the car design and the livery, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And yeah,
1: yeah, GG, Aston Martin. Um, We still, oh, at the same time, interestingly, this was was a bit weird. So we had Alpine launch the Hypercar and the Formula One car at the same time. Uh, Aston Martin, I suppose, wanted to do something similar by unveiling the Vantage GT3. Um, I I would like to inform everyone at Aston Martin that the car has already done a 24-hour race this year as it was at Daytona. (laughs) A little bit of a strange decision, but. Yeah, uh, we were were talking before the show, the
2: GT4 also had a uh, zebra stripe uh, camouflage livery for Michelin Pilot, too. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) way to unveil your cars, bud.
3: You no, know, I actually like this this little trend right here, because we get to see actual good quality motorsport cars be unveiled at, quote-unquote, the pinnacle of motorsports events. I mean, have you ever seen a hypercar launch next to an F1 car? You know, the hypercar looks great, like, oh, that's what a livery looks like, and the car sounds amazing, and now we get to see the new GT3 Aston Martin launch next to the F1 car? That's freaking awesome. I, I like that. I know F1 people are like, oh, it's just because they're beneath F1, but they're not that far enough below for them not to include them in the event. That's freaking awesome news. I'm excited about this.
1: Yeah, cross promotion is a good thing. And hopefully that leads to some people who don't watch the better series um, to be (laughs) exposed to it and to watch it themselves. Um, I I like that. And and any opportunity we get to look more at uh, this Aston Martin GT3, I'll take because it is stunning. I, I love love what they've done with this latest iteration of Aston Martin GT car. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. That's weird. <laughs> wow. We wow. have hung around each other way too much.
2: Somebody's been friends for a while.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, We're we th- like brothers, only, only closer. closer. Um, we have an, a handful of liveries to go. Um, obviously, by the time the show comes out, we will have had the launch of the what's next is it the mercedes ferrari. tomorrow? The, uh, the yeah the ferrari's tomorrow um oh yeah and the mercedes is on valentine's day um why wouldn't the teaser for, for the valentine's Fer- day sorry
2: why wouldn't the ferrari go for valentine's day
1: because of red i don't the know they, they've done it before i suppose yeah um but anyway <laughs> yeah so ferrari tomorrow I, and then the, saw uh, the teaser it didn't look good what the (laughs) the the ferrari teaser
3: it has yellow outline around the white letters i don't like that
1: yeah there's there's been yeah as i said earlier there's been rumors that they're going to try and converge on the same hypercar paint uh interestingly they are also doing a launch for the hypercar again this year so it makes me wonder whether the hypercar will also have a minor change and that the ferrari will the formula one car will share it but We'll, we'll have to see. I, 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 the yellow and white might be quite interesting. Um, originally, we'd heard only white, which made me think of like the F two thousand four era, which I'm always down for. We'll we'll have to see what they do, but so long as it isn't primarily carbon, we'll be okay. If if that if they make the Ferrari carbon, I'm flying there, and I'm gonna break all of their spaghetti in half.
3: They're going to go full McDonald's ketchup mustard, and then they'll have nice carbon beef. <laughs> oh God,
1: <laughs> charred. Um, we have some other Formula One news um, coming out at the end of last week. There was the announcement that the British Grand Prix has been renewed for a ten-year deal. Um, now, fantastic for for uh, you know. I'm a little bit biased. Uh, considering it's in my neck of the woods, although it's still too expensive for me to warrant going to it, but that's neither here nor there. But Silverstone has been a track that has increasingly been under threat over the last 10 years, say, uh, as one of the only Grand Prix on the calendar that is not funded by the local government in some way. Um, So to see it renewed and renewed for 10 years, that's fantastic. Really fantastic news. Yeah,
3: it'd be a... a disgrace to f1 if they lost silverstone off the, the calendar it is one of their hallmark crown jewel races in my opinion as far as and you can see that just by the crowd that shows up year over year to the event and the amount of passion they have i mean it makes me wonder Whoa. um how much is f1 charging silverstone for each race now because <laughs> we know that's always been the the biggest sticking point since like you said the race is not subsidized by the government um, how are they paying for this? <laughs> I just want to make sure it's a nice, steady and a uh, secure kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't you know. Don't wanna- it, but it, it's definitely something that needs to keep happening though, because
2: this is the one time that the factory workers actually get to see their cars race. That's true. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is a, it's, it's a homecoming for formula one. Let's not forget that it is based there. Right. Yeah. So, so this is, this is, I think one of the reasons why we have such a big turnoff for this race is because a lot of the industry personnel who don't get to travel and watch these cars that they work on all year round, this is their one opportunity to see them. So I, and I think they deserve it because if they didn't do their work, the sport didn't, wouldn't exist, you know? So,
3: yeah. And this is one of the highest attended F1 races of the year, other than, than I think maybe a Coda, you know these races get in the hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. for for these events. It deserves to stay there if there's that type of of pool, especially like Greg said, all the people who live, breathe, and sweat
1: F1 are there. So GG. And and it's incredibly important for British motorsport as well because you know increasingly more and more, or maybe it should be less and less. This country is having. Less international motorsport come, you know. Ever since we voted to impose economic sanctions on ourselves, um, you know, (laughs) we've seen more and more series pulling out. Oh, WEC doesn't come here anymore. Uh, We're losing loads of uh, of these races. So to have Formula One still coming here is is incredibly important. And as you say, the the crowds are always huge. Uh, If if there was a way for them to increase capacity more than it is now, they'd fill it. They'd fill it again and again. And that's despite the fact that the ticket prices are astronomical um uh, you know i'm i'm a, a massive motorsport fan says the person running a motorsport podcast surprise surprise i've never been to a formula one grand prix i've been to qualifying in 2011 but that was all we could afford the average person can't afford these ticket prices um and yet it still sells out so i mean that says a lot on one hand it says a lot that the fans still come given how how expensive it is but imagine if it was affordable <laughs> Like right yeah so good news nonetheless but yeah be cheaper um moving away from uh formula one to formula e um we have a support series uh coming to formula e for the first time since the um ipace e trophy which uh stopped just before the pandemic um it was awful it they were terrible the cars (laughs) were way too big and way too slow um yeah hated those things but this could be a lot better it's they're going to be supported by the NXT gen cup support series which is um a uh mini based uh, it, it's based off of the mini cooper se um which is uh it, it's it's called the LRT NXT1 it, it's um yeah just an electrified mini cooper it's got a, a 30 kilowatt battery um uh, which produces about equivalent of 180 uh, under 180 brake horsepower it's also got a push to pass system um during
2: (laughs) in a mini yeah
1: yeah Yeah. it you know it doesn't matter so long as the so long as the cars are close the racing will be fantastic
2: that's just not the thing i expected to come out of your mouth when we were talking about a mini cooper right like have you watched much mini cooper motorsport um, a little bit, yeah. Particularly
1: yeah. in Europe, mini racing from oh, yeah. the old minis to the new minis that support touring car classes traditionally put on superb racing. I I didn't know there was an electrified version racing series. I didn't either. So this this is this will be really cool. So they're going to be on the Formula E support bill at the uh, Misano race at Monaco. That's going to be something um Indeed? berlin uh norris ring with the dtm they're going to be supporting them um and considering what dtm is nowadays it'll be the best thing on the schedule um they'll also be at the series <laughs> finale in london and back with dtm at hockenheim um f- their, their championship format is a pair of 20 minute um sorry a pair of 20 minute practice sessions a 20 minute qualifying and a 20 minute race so i'm looking forward to that that'll be something yeah. cool to watch
3: yeah, let's I, do it. You know what? I, I I'm excited for uh touring car racing meets electric mini. Um that could be really good or uh you know, a little task fuffle. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it I think it's gonna be great. It's hard to
0: not
2: have good racing with a car like, well, that has a wheelbase like this. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they're just bigger cars. Like <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I think it's gonna be great. I love those videos of uh Mini Coopers when they're making like a real sharp turn. Like say they're going left and that left rear tire comes up off the yeah. ground. They three wheeled around. The, oh man. Yeah. I, I, I can't I, like I, to see. I doubt we'll see
1: me. this considering the electric cars tend to be a lot heavier, but I'll, I'll be interested that apparently the, the cars weigh, um, 1,150 kilograms. So that's not bad. It's not bad considering it's an electric car to be fair. Yeah.
3: So. I, I've missed seeing Mini's race since the old uh, Continental Tire Sports Car Series races when they had like Mini uh, Coopers versus Honda Civics. And, yeah, you know, like those those are truly <laughs> grassroots racing and hard fought. So I'm, I'm excited to see this. Hopefully it's a uh, reminiscent of that. Yeah, I just have more questions
2: about the push to pass. uh system on this thing and and how well that's
1: gonna work well i mean the Uh, cars produce 180 horsepower and this will give them an extra 60 it's gonna be a big difference holy
2: shit all right all right yeah uh yeah let's see it man can't wait for these
1: (laughs) to be five wide at monaco can't wait (laughs) (laughs) through Uh,
2: the casino oh god (laughs) for lowe's hairpin
1: yeah Um, pivoting slightly to another form of electric motorsport. Uh, we don't normally talk about extreme E on the show. Uh, we, we started doing so, but then the series, let's face it, kind of declined a little bit over the last year. Um, there, this, this coming season will be the final year of electric before they transition to hydrogen. And thus they will become extreme H, um, which I, I don't know. I suppose that works. Um, but with this kind of instability going on with the series, in the last week we've had a whole host of teams uh, pull out or go on sabbatical. Um, X44, perhaps the most notable, this was Lewis Hamilton's team that won the championship um, a couple years ago. They're going to be departing. Um, we, we know not why, to be honest. They've said um, they will be cheering on from the sidelines and keeping an eye on the developments with the hydrogen technology but uh, it's a shame it's a shame that they're leaving um but at the same time a couple days later we had chip ganassi racing announced that they were leaving uh most famously they brought hummer to the championship with a a body kit on the standard uh uh i can't remember the name the odysseys that's that's what these cars were called weren't they the odysseys um so they've gone as well. And then Carl Cox Motorsport, who uh, only entered the championship last year, they have said that they're not leaving, but this season they will be sitting out. Um, but are they're intending to coming back for when the championship transition, transitions to hydrogen in 2025. Um, it, it's never good when a whole host of manufacturers leave a championship. You know, Formula E had a similar thing a few years ago where it kind of dropped off in relevance and a lot of big names left. Um, but the concept's important, and the potential is there for something very unique. So I hope that the series does survive its transition to hydrogen, and that we see some of these names or some replacements return.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, we, there's, we've seen a couple of these things happen recently, <clears throat> right? With, uh, uh, what was it, SRX, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of folded, extreme ease, and doing... Uh, Too well uh you know i mean but formula e seems to be growing um f1 i mean not that it's under any danger of folding but you know i don't know if you guys have noticed but a little bit of a lull in the action there as far as like you know fan excitement i think
1: uh i don't know it's a little little shift in motorsport going on right now i think well i mean you only have to see that i mean The the, the ones that have struggled are the ones that have been very different in some way, be it philosophy, be it car design, whatever. Um, By the nature of experimentation, sometimes things will go well and sometimes things won't. Um, SRX, whilst that has gone, I think the concept is definitely going to carry on with IROC. So hopefully they'll take the good parts of that and make it stick. But with, with Extreme E, you know, Formula E had a bit of a tricky start. Extreme E has had a bit of a tricky start, but if it's given the time to develop and the technology is given room to grow, then it could grow into something really good. It's just surviving these tricky bits. W series had a similar thing, you know, that, that collapsed um, due to, well, it was mismanagement in a lot of ways, but it's, it's been improved upon and survived in the form of F1 Academy. So
2: yeah, I was, I was just about to say on the on the flip side of these things folding, you're seeing a lot of other things like F1 academies having a big uh, a big come up right now. You're seeing uh sports car racing becoming more popular than it has in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, there's a little bit more excitement around NASCAR right now. So, you know, of course there's going to be some things I guess shifting from one thing to another. Uh and it sucks that extreme has to exist in the same timeline is, you know the gtp era of (laughs) of emsa you know
3: yeah i i'm interested in in the move of extreme e to extreme h or whatever they're gonna call it i feel like yes they're both experimental series i don't think hydrogen fuel cells are actually better because i i've done a little bit of You know, YouTube digging in the past and hydrogen fuel cells, it still takes a crap ton of energy to create the hydrogen for those fuel cells. And most of the hydrogen comes from burning other things to get the pure hydrogen gas other than electrolysis, which just takes forever to produce any meaningful amount uh, to be used for fuel. So I'm interested in if there's any other way they're creating the hydrogen in a more efficient way. But I feel like both just pure electric or pure hydrogen are kind of not the way I, going forward as far as like car technology. I feel like IMSA and and WEC with the hybrid technology and using biofuel for the combustion element is a much more sustainable and relevant way to to push car technology forward. I'm not saying any hydrogen or electric integration is bad. I'm just saying it might not be the best, most efficient way to tackle the problems that they're trying to address
2: yeah, yeah, but I mean, you have to in order to know if something's going to be worth uh, switching to, right? As far as like, like for example, hydrogen, right? Mm-hmm. In order for us to know whether it's worth spending a lot of time and money creating an efficient way to create hydrogen, you have to first figure out, okay, is this going to be a viable a viable fuel, right? You, you're not going to do it the other way around. You're not going to figure out an efficient way to create hydrogen. You're going to take what you already know and then use that hydrogen see if it's going to work if it does then we'll make a sustainable you know hydrogen process
3: yeah i i don't disagree i mean you're you're absolutely right the crucible of motorsport is the ultimate test for any type of technology right and i applaud them for it 1000% it's just that we've been seeing this kind of development go on for a very long time i think even up to 10 years ago there was talk of a fully hydrogen powered lmp1 car for <laughs> for WEC, and that kind of fell by the wayside
1: that, well that still is it's meant to be happening there should be a class of hydrogen powered cars within the next four or five years if plans are going correctly toyota uh, seems to be leading the way with that and i believe they've they've showcased some of the technology um, i believe there's a, a team that um that is Gearing up to enter Lamar with a hydrogen-powered Garage Fifty Six style entry in the next couple of years as well. I saw it at Goodwood uh, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, but but yeah, uh, I think without getting into a wider discussion about the automotive industry, you know, f- to to be so laser focused on one potential solution isn't isn't a good thing. You need to, you know, it feels like electric is the one that, that all the shareholders are behind, but we've right. seen in recent years you know that's becoming less and less viable um so so you you know to have people focusing on these different alternative sources is a good thing and as you said you know with what formula e did for the evolvement of electric power units has been incredible so if hydrogen was able to get the same kind of attention then you know at least it opens the avenue for further research so We'll just have to see. Uh, I, I suppose with Extreme E is a good test for that. I guess because you know it, it it provides another environment for it. The series it hasn't been around long enough to be fully entrenched in one method of doing things. Uh, I, I wonder yeah. about the research that went into designing those cars and how quickly they're shifting over to H. But we'll just have to see what it it's going to. It's going to
2: give uh, Jim Glickenhaus something else to do. He's got that hydrogen powered uh, Baja truck that he
1: uh, that he's been designing yeah maybe yeah, maybe so. clicking house comes to extreme e. yeah why not or, or extreme yeah. h rather there have been a couple of teams so it's not it's not all been bad news for extreme e uh two teams have joined the grid in the last couple of weeks uh sun mini meal is uh one team that uh joined uh, the championship a couple of weeks ago they are backed by the swiss com- food company sun ag uh, they're looking to use Extreme E to promote their more innovative food products, which are more sustainable, whatever. Um, they're going to have um, Clara Anderson and um, Timo, Schneid- uh, Timo Scheider behind the wheel. Uh, but then just today we had confirmation from, I, I didn't see this coming, uh, Legacy Motor Club are going to be coming to Extreme E um, <laughs> with uh, Travis Pastrano is going to be racing the first round in Saudi Arabia, Alongside Gray Ledbetter, who I believe is the uh, the first uh, female to win uh, one of the major U.S. off road championships, um, uh, in I, I don't know anything about off road racing, unfortunately, but she she's a very very good driver in the, in the world of American off road racing. Um, but once Travis has done his round in Saudi Arabia. Jimmy Johnson is going to be behind the wheel for the rest of the series. It seems returning to his roots in some ways. What roots?
5: Uh, he did I a mean,
1: lot I of, dirt. Dirt. yeah, he was a yeah, short course racer, uh, in the, nineties uh, before yeah. his NASCAR career. Yeah, he did off-road trucks in Baja. He was very good. I believe as well. Huh. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnson, who'd have fought. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he transitions into this. You know, obviously he's not done it in a while, and the, the cars are very different. The format's very different. But we've seen other people with a penchant for different types of off-road racing acclimatized really well. You think of lia Block when she came over; she she was instantly quick, basically. um And seeing Travis Pastrana do Saudi is going to be interesting because you know he's going to give it full send no matter what. So that car's either to come back with a trophy or on its roof um yeah yeah I, I i didn't see this expansion coming for legacy motor club actually I, and it, I, it's a cool crossover
2: i do think uh it's worth stating that Ledbetter is 19 years old she is indeed <laughs> yeah yeah Wow. what did i where did we go wrong <laughs> in in like all the decisions we made in life you know what? Uh, fuck it. I'm blaming my parents. They
3: weren't rich enough. Uh, yeah, there we go. Problem
2: solved. All right, moving on, boys. <sighs> I,
3: I wish I could do a victory lap in life like Jimmy Johnson is. Just go around like oh, I'm seven-time NASCAR champion, two Billy wins. I'll just go do IndyCar, come back to NASCAR. Oh, yeah, I'll go check out those dirt racing scrubs. You know, I'm Jimmy Johnson. I had that Carvana money.
1: Yeah. It, it, wow. You know, he, he can pick and choose where he wants to race, really. Yeah, it's an envious position to be in. It really is. What a guy. Um, <laughs> Pivoting slightly to NASCAR, uh, we have, obviously, it's the Daytona 500 this weekend, the start of the season, uh, but we've had yeah. a driver announcement for the Xfinity series, a driver who's going to be attempting to make his debut if he qualifies, and that's going to be Frankie Muniz. Um, we we had already reported toward the end of last year that he was going to be racing full time in the Xfinity Series. However, that uh, news was allegedly um, not correct. Uh, he, he was uh, meant to be racing for RSS Racing, uh, but apparently that wasn't that that wasn't going to happen. So I don't know how that happened, but he's going to be driving uh, the number thirty five for Joey Gase Motorsports um, alongside Joey Gase in the number fifty three. Um, Massive backing from Ford on the car. It basically looks like a show car of theirs. Um, and I'm really interested to see how he does. I'm rooting for him.
2: I I feel like... I don't think we ever stated it throughout the season last year, but I feel like we saw this coming uh, pretty early on. Frankie moving up to the ranks fast, right? I feel like I did. I don't know. But... Yeah, I think uh, I think he's I think he's gonna be a good driver. I think uh this is the beginning of a blossoming career and it's gonna be long <laughs> and uh I I see Frankie Munez NASCAR Cup Series champion uh twenty <laughs> let's see, what is it twenty I'm I'm real sick right now, so I can't really do math. Twenty it, twenty four. Right All right. So <laughs> 29, tw- 29 or 30, we're going to see Frankie Munoz, NASCAR Cup Series champion.
1: You heard
3: it here first, folks.
2: Yep. <laughs> it's
3: a bold strategy, Cotton. See if it works out for him.
2: Ford's about to dump a lot of money to this kid. He's going to win this kid, Daytona he, this year.
3: He is, what, upper 40s, almost 50 now?
2: Yeah. Uh, upper
3: 40s? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I Frankie Muniz has been involved in racing for a very long time. Like I remember when he participated in the Toyota Celebrity series like twenty years ago. Frankie yeah,
1: like, Muniz is thirty eight years old. Well, it's still old oh, okay. by motorsport standards though. You know, he, he was commenting the other day four but, years older than me. Yeah, but you're not a racing driver. <laughs> you're um, right. Frankie was commenting the other day, you know, that he feels like, you know, he came very late to this second career really as a racing driver. And he feels like he, he, he knew he had to move up from Arca fairly quickly if he wanted to stand a chance of having a significant time in, 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 in NASCAR's premier series. So I, I guess this is going to be another crucial year. You know, he, allegedly he's going to be doing a part-time schedule this year with, with Joey Gase. Um, I, I, I do hope it works out for him. I am genuinely interested to see how he gets on. Cause ARCA is one thing, you know, we've seen drivers do relatively well, but I mean, the fact of the matter is there were only six full-time cars in ARCA next, uh, last season. Um, I, I know he led the championship after the first few rounds, but you know, it, ARCA isn't a very strong field. Let's put it that way. So th- this will be the real test for him. I'm not expecting him to be amazing straight away, but I'm sure there are going to be worse people on that grid. Um, what What's more hilarious to me is the fact that the two rookies in the Xfinity series this year, like just two of them, are going to be Shane Van Gisbergen and Frankie Muniz. What timeline are we on <laughs> when Malcolm in the Middle is battling a multiple-time Supercars champion and Bathurst 1000 winner? What What's happening?
2: <laughs> I mean, it's the dream, man. Uh, it's all happening. They didn't have to do any of this, but they did it. and They did it for us. So that's all that counts.
3: It's a great time <laughs> to be a motorsports fan.
1: It is. Who knew that Fox sitcoms from the early 2000s would be a feeder series for the NASCAR Xfinity series? Just
2: like Formula
1: One. It's a feeder series to sports car racing. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> wow. Well, um, that about does it for this half of the... Uh, this week's episode join us shortly after this break for story time with a special guest that greg has lined up uh, for a topic that we know absolutely nothing about yep nope top secret this is going to be interesting so yep stay tuned <laughs> and uh, join us shortly after this
0: with half the show gone there's, there's still half the, the show still, still to go, go. This is the Into the Paddock Podcast.
5: This is the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network going to the weekend with the end of the apex podcast reliably producing sim racing and i racing banter for over three years tyler bradley patrick and rob come together each week to hang out and everyone's invited coming out of the motorsport weekend there's the end of the paddock podcast where jordan greg and john will dig deep into all the real motorsport happenings from pretty much every series out there there are no cold takes on itp it's all on the end of the apex motorsport podcast network We're here for you every week, and we're bringing the provocative motorsport talk. Into the Apex is excited to introduce a monthly subscription. For 99 cents a month, get regular, exclusive audio and video content on the Into the Apex podcast feed presented by Spotify. Into the Apex After Dark, OnlyFans Into the Apex, InfoWars Into the Apex, we're not too sure what it's called just yet, but we do know that it's edgy. It's provocative. It's everything we do here at the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. To subscribe, go to IntoTheApex.com and hit the subscription button down below.
0: This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network.
1: Welcome back to the second part of this week's Into the Paddock podcast. Before we get underway with story time, I guess, um, just a (laughs) little reminder that you can uh, check out all our social media uh, channels. We are at Into the Paddock, that's with the number two, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Um, You can also check out our own YouTube channel where we'll have clips of uh, various moments from the show, uh, possibly even this one, we will see. Um, That's all. In the links for all of our various social media channels. Also, if you're a fan of everything at the Into the Apex Podcast Network, you can sign up for 99 cents a month for premium access through Spotify and Anchor. And be sure to check out all of their links at Intotheapex.com and enjoy the shows. So now, as we kind of hinted at towards the end of part one there, it's time for a little bit a little bit something different. And for that, I'm going to hand over to uh, Mr. Greg and a very special guest.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, This is something uh, completely different. And please don't expect this to happen again anytime soon. I am not a researcher (laughs) (laughs) by any means. I read an article. I thought the story was really funny. I laughed. Uh, I I was like, I got to find more about this. I couldn't find much more about it. So I was like, well, I guess we will make something about it. Um and it just so happened that uh it's it's re- it's gonna be really easy to cite our work here today <laughs> because <laughs> the author of the main source that I used uh to write about this is actually with us here today, Mr. Ken Brusslauer. How are you doing?
4: Good, good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, uh it it's it's really awesome to talk to you. Uh, Mr. Mr. Breslar was, uh, the media director and track historian for Sebring International Raceway from, uh, was it, is it 1986? Was 1986
4: it all the way to 2021.
2: 2021. Uh, and you've been to every race since, uh, 1975, I think I read somewhere.
4: Yep. Uh, been to everyone since 75, uh, obviously as a spectator, uh, starting in 75 and then working there uh, since 1986.
2: Wow. I mean, so you've, (laughs) you've been there, you've, you've been there for some, some pretty good moments. Um, but the subject matter of today, I think (laughs) might, might top them all. And it's actually the title of your book that just came out, uh, Sebring 1983, the war horse and the hitchhiker. Uh, yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about that real quick before we get started?
4: Yeah, the, the book is, of course, about the 1983 12 Hours of Sebring. It really starts with a, a little history of the, the town of Sebring, uh, how it evolved and how the race evolved. Uh, a brief history of the race before 1983, but then it really goes into one of the most bizarre races ever run <laughs> with a bizarre ending and a bizarre winner. And a lot of weird things happened, uh, both on and off the track. <laughs> and, uh, it was actually a spectator who almost, uh, changed history. Uh, it was, uh, a, a, a really, uh, m- very memorable year. Uh, so <laughs>
2: there's,
4: there's a lot of, a lot of cool backstories, uh, uh, including the car that won the race, uh, is a, just a, a totally bizarre story too. So, uh, where do you want me to start? <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I guess we'll we'll just go ahead and 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 get right to it. Uh you know, uh if if you want to kind of help me set the scene for the weekend, there's one big similarity in 1983 that we are going into today and in that it's the second year of the newly formed GTP class.
4: Right. 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 Uh, in, in 1983 was really the first year that protos- prototypes started showing up in IMSA. Um the, it started in 81, but, but as you know, mainly Porsche 935s were, were dominating the series. And then in 83, you had uh, March and Lola prototypes show up. Uh, Aston Martin had a prototype. Uh, the Group 44 Jaguar made its debut, beautiful prototype. Uh, Mazda had an independently entered prototype. Uh, so you had all these new, somewhat fragile prototypes entered in, a, in <laughs> the toughest race in the world. Um, also a couple other things that that made this year interesting was this is the first year that the Sebring circuit was modified, uh, in over 30 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the FAA, uh, was really getting nervous about uh, cars and airplanes using the same property at the same time. So the Sebring Airport Authority had to make some changes. So they built a bypass section. Uh, that that bypassed most of the runways, Um, and that was a big change after 30 years. Uh, So the circuit went from 5.2 miles to uh, 4.75 miles. Uh, A couple other things that, as a background to that race, leading up to that race. This was the first year that there was another race between Daytona and Sebring, and that was the Grand Prix of Miami. And uh, that actually is a very significant race in, in IMSA history, Um, it, the race turned out to be a disaster because of the weather, but the field of (laughs) cars was, was pretty amazing. There's a lot of really cool prototypes. Um, and most of those, uh, came to Sebring, but it, it really, it created a great enthusiasm, uh, for the series because you you had these new prototypes coming and, uh, the fans wanted to see them and it was, it was a really, uh, interesting, uh, time in, in IMSA history. Uh, and then you had 84 cars entered in the race, which is, you know, <laughs> insane. Uh, and this was a period in IMSA where pretty much anybody could enter the 12 hours of Sebring. Obviously, you know, you had to yeah, meet safety requirements. So you had to have an SEC license and so forth. You can, um,
2: you can tell when you go back and look through the names of some of the teams that entered, right. <laughs> you know, and it's like garbage companies. And, uh, in fact, one of the, the main contenders of the race, the team name was Bayside disposal racing. Right. <laughs> so, that, yeah, I mean,
4: absolutely. There, there was, uh, a lot of weekend warriors, you know, guys who mainly ran SCCA and they, they wanted to race in the 12 hours. Um, the, uh, uh, kind of an interesting story to that is uh, you probably heard of Benny Parsons, the NASCAR driver. And a few years before that, he came to Sebring with the BMW factory team. And he just, you know, railed into all these, you know, weekend warrior cars and said, you know, these guys really shouldn't be out there. And, you know, they have no business driving with us professionals and so forth. So Benny Parsons uh, got ready for his first stint, and on the first turn of the first lap, he wrecks and takes out three cars with him. So, <laughs> y- y- you know, here, here, here's the, the pro guy, you know, coming in and, and making an idiot of himself. But, you know, Sebring during this period, and in general, was, was kind of in this interesting mix of, you know, just weekend warriors and, and, and top-notch professional teams. The, the other thing that makes this era interesting is this was – really the start of the uh, drug smuggling teams uh, there were five or <laughs> six teams that were you know financed by drugs uh, the Weddingtons, or Randy Lanier uh, were the most notable ones and uh, it was just a kind of a wild time it was the Miami vice period of MSA racing and there was a lot of strange things uh, going on back then and and then you had just some oddball things like that you know one of the drivers in the 12 rs that that year was a serial killer um, Christopher what? Wilder, yeah. Uh, oh, shit, <laughs> he. Uh, I, didn't,
2: I didn't uncover that.
4: <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh! Uh, wow, he, this is uh He was known as the the Beauty Queen Killer. They they found out he was the killer uh, just after the race. Um, I mean, it's it's a sad what? story. It's really it's not funny, but it's it, it's just another bizarre element to
2: right. But
4: what he what he was doing was uh, he was. If this actually, his first victim was at the Grand Prix of Miami. He would go up to young models and say, "I'm a an agent, and I want to do a photo shoot." Blah blah blah, and he'd end up killing them. And uh, he he drove a Porsche in the race. Um, That's insane. Yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, I
2: I didn't in in you know the days of research I did on this. I did not uncover that at all. That's wild. I, again, I I told you guys this is the <laughs> most insane. Weekend, I could. I I wanted to keep this a secret from you because I couldn't. You know, I couldn't ruin the surprise of well, all
4: this. Well, it 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 started off. It got crazy right away because. <laughs> oh yeah. The, the gates opened. at that time. Sebring was a three day event on um, Thursday through Saturday, but the, the twelve hours beyond Saturday, of course. And um, the within the first two hours of the gates opening, the pace car was stolen, and it, <laughs> one one of the one of the fans. Got the uh, the pace car went into town, got some groceries, and, and went into Green Park, which is, if you're not familiar with Sebring, is the famous party area of the track. And they they found the the, the pace car um, in Green Park, uh, just sitting there. So okay, <laughs> but it it was stolen again at the end of the race, uh, right? <laughs> During the Victory Lane um, ceremony, it was stolen, and they, they found it in Green Park the next morning, just filled to the top with beer cans, not damaged <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> but, so that, that just gives you an idea of what's what's about to happen. Um, but in the first session, uh, which was Thursday morning, the first session for the Camel GT Series, uh, they had to have a yellow flight because there was an alligator on the track. And,
2: um, <laughs> because Florida, right?
4: Yeah. You know, obviously that's, I mean, that's ha- actually happened before uh, and after, but, um, so they had to do that. But one of the backstories to the race, which, uh, actually played a role in, in the event itself was, um, because of the 84 cars in the race, um, IMSA officials were getting really nervous about the amount of fuel at the track. <laughs> and, uh, sure enough, the morning of the race, they did some more calculations and they said, Oh shit, we, we don't have enough fuel to run this race.
0: <laughs>
4: so it gets better. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I don't know if better is the right word, but <laughs>
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> so that Charlie Rainville, the chief steward of the race, he, he gets all the to Ron justice. Who's the, the promoter of the, the track and says, you got, you got to get some fuel in here somehow. Um, you know, this is going to be really embarrassing. So he, he gets on the phone, and uh, he finds a tanker truck full of fuel. And, uh, you know, it's, it's three hours away, but it'll, it'll get there during the race. And, of course, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but, of course, it arrives. And then they they suddenly realized how are we going to get it inside the track? There's no bridges that can accommodate a fuel tanker. <laughs> so they had to throw a caution flag and to, to bunch up, you know, 80 something cars, you know, it's not an easy task, especially back then. Um, so they finally, they, the yellow flag, they got all the cars behind the pace car. And then the tanker went across the track cause there's a cut in where the, they could cross the track and they, uh, delivered the fuel. And again, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but so <laughs> in the in the seventh hour, um, uh, Bob Bacon's Porsche 935 had taken the lead and actually appeared to to be dominating the race at, at least for a while. And then they come in the pits, and the car will not restart. They cannot <laughs> figure out what's going on, and they finally they. Uh, discover that they had just put uh, fuel totally contaminated with water in their car <laughs> and they are oh. draining water out of there so Aiken goes to Ron Je's promoter and goes what the fuck did you just give me you, you just delivered a tanker full of water you know <laughs> and and he says you, you cost me the race There, it took him 10 laps to you know drain the, the tank and get all the systems cleared out.
2: They had a two lap lead at that point too. Yeah, they they had
4: a, a yeah. pretty good lead, and it was a, one of the cars that was favored to win. So now they're ten laps behind.
2: And and also on that, he said some stuff on live TV, right? Well, uh, now I, I guess I, during a broadcast.
4: <clears throat> well, the race, the race. Okay, well, here's the kind of the interesting part of this whole thing is uh, if you go back to the twenty four Hours of Daytona in nineteen. 19- Seventy-six, they had to stop the race because of fuel contamination. I, you know, all the cars were suffering this problem. And it, oh it, man! Okay, but it's Sebring in nineteen eighty-three, there's only one car that was having this problem.
0: <laughs>
2: so
4: Ron, Ron Just is probably going. Now wait a second. If our fuel is contaminated, why isn't everybody else having a problem? So I, I don't know how familiar you are with, uh, with a uh, race promoting and, and fuel, but. There's always this game being played back then of outlaw fuel trucks coming in the track or the teams bringing in their own fuel, even though there is a official fuel normally, especially now. And Aiken started to back off on his claim because, you know, in my opinion, uh, his fuel that was contaminated was fuel that he got from a bootlegger outlaw delivery <laughs> not from the track. So he kind of backed off on this claim, but it, but anyway, he's 10 laps behind, um, at this point with, you know, like five hours left. So he's pretty much out of it and he's not too happy about it. But I think that the true story, although we'll, we'll never know, it was not anything to do with the fuel that was, was delivered to the track. But anyway, that, the as the race unfolded in the early hours there was a tremendous amount of attrition um after after two hours like 25 percent of the cars had dropped out i mean it was incredible and that's not entirely unusual back then especially at sebring normally about 50 percent of the cars would finish uh, the 12 hours Um, but it it was just brutal and that one of the problems was the the, the new track that bypassed the runways was starting to break up and they had to throw caution flags for that just to sweep it. You know, it was, it was really a, a problem. Uh, the track is breaking up and, uh, the teams are complaining and it, it's just a, it's a big mess at this point. But the, as, as every car takes the lead, um, within an hour the car breaks, um, one by one, um, all the favorites are dropping out, and uh, about halfway through, a Mazda RX-7, a rotary RX-7, takes the lead overall. And uh, this this car finished third at Daytona, the twenty-four hours overall. So it wasn't entirely a, a surprise that this car uh, was had taken the lead. And of course, uh, as soon as it takes the lead, it comes in the pits, uh, driver change, it goes out. And it never comes back around. Uh, the brake rotor exploded, and the car went off in the hairpin. And now they're out. So then this one-off car, uh, Cosworth Grid, takes the lead, <laughs> and uh, they're they're running pretty good for a few laps. And then suspension problems, wheel bearing problems. Uh, the Bayside disposal car you mentioned that Hurley Haywood was driving with Al Holbert. Uh, took the lead. Uh, They started having electrical problems. They couldn't figure out what was going on. They kept pitting and pitting and pitting. So this car that qualified 13th and was in the GTO class um, takes the lead. Uh, It's Wayne Baker Racing, uh, Porsche uh, 934. It was originally a 935. It raced at Le Mans in 1979. Paul Newman drove it. The car had over thirty thousand competition miles on it, and uh, over the <laughs> over the winter, uh, Wayne Baker acquired it, and uh, he read the rule book carefully and said, "Hey, I, you know, I'm going to convert this to nine thirty-four, which was the GTO class, and uh, we're going we want to win GTO." And so they're just motoring along. They were eleven laps behind at one point. Now they're in the lead in the eleventh hour. Unbelievable. And then it gets crazy. Uh, Wayne Baker. Oh, the,
2: <laughs> only now it gets crazy. Yeah, we're deep, we're deep in the 11th hour, guys.
4: <laughs> so so Wayne Baker's in the car driving. Of course, it's dark uh, at Sebring. And uh, he comes to turn one. And there's a guy standing on the side of the track. And he just misses him. And he, he radios in his crew. And he goes, hey. There's a guy on the track. I almost killed him. You got to do something. And so he goes around, comes back around. There's a guy standing there again, just standing on the side of the track. He's got his thumb out. He's hitchhiking. So he comes around again. He calls (laughs) on the radio. He says, guys, I'm not dreaming this up. there's, There's a guy on the track, and he's hitchhiking. I almost ran over him. So, the, the first time he almost hit him, he had to make evasive mo- uh, maneuvers, went off the track, damaged the suspension. So, now this car is leading, but he's got <laughs> a bad suspension. So, other teams, other drivers were calling this in too. There's a guy standing on the track hitchhiking. And so they send the uh, police out. To, to, you know, Sebring is an incredibly dark circuit at night, it's a long circuit, it's hard to pinpoint things. They send the police out. One of the policemen trips in a hole and uh, blows his knee out. So now they, <laughs> they, they got to get an ambulance out to this guy. And meanwhile, they, they find this guy. He's just got short pants on, nothing else. And he's just standing on the side of the track, living with his thumb out. Car's going by him at, you know, 140, 150 miles an hour. So they, they he risked, uh, uh, resisted arrest, and they... they Tackle him, arrest him. The guy's from Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, <laughs> his name is... Um, that checks out. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Kenyon. And uh, he's arrested for all kinds of charges and so forth. So anyway, they, they, they take this guy away. The ambulance comes, gets a cop. So Baker, um, he's got a really screwed up car now. It's, it's, it's barely handling... And all the cars behind him are in the pits with problems. And who suddenly appears on the same lap but Bob Aiken's Porsche 935, who was ten laps behind just you know a few laps you know, a few hours ago. So now it's it's about twenty-five minutes left in the race. And Baker radios in into his crew and says you know, we got. To, I got to pit this. I can't drive this thing. And they said, "No, don't pit, don't pit, don't pit." And he, he goes, "Well, you know, am I okay for the GTO class?" When they go, "Yeah, you're you're good. You're good in the GTO." They, they didn't tell him he was leading overall because they didn't want him to like freak out. <laughs> so he the car is just. I mean, he's barely running now, and Aiken is on the same lap, and he's, he's catching him. And it's on the last lap. And Baker um, holds on he, to win the race. And uh, he doesn't know he's won overall. So when he gets to the timing stand where the, the real end of the race is, the, the, the real um, checkered flag, he calls into the crew and says, hey, kind, I just come in the pits now? And they said, no, 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 stay, stay out, stay out, stay out. Go go past the ceremonial checkered flag and, and do a cool-down lap. And uh, – he was running out of gas, too. So he, he, he radios in, says, I, I, thank you, guys. I can't believe we won GTO. This is great. And then when he gets around to the back stretch, uh, his crew chief, Greg Elliff calls him and says, oh, uh, by the way, you won overall, too. And he's, <laughs> he's like, he says, I know we won GTO, but who won overall? And he goes, we did. And he, he just can't believe it. He goes crazy. The, the, he had no idea that he just wanted 12 hours as he ring overall in a gto car and it was just absolutely pandemonium i mean it was he comes in victory <laughs> lane it it was just insane um but you know I, i'm leaving out some of the stuff that uh, happened in the spectator area that was was pretty wild too uh <laughs>
2: I, was, I I I do think we we did gloss over one of my favorite parts of the whole weekend that actually happened at the very beginning, <clears throat> um, leading leading up to the weekend. Sebring had put a ban on firewood, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> so you know where I'm going with this. Um, yeah, they put a they put a ban on firewood because at night when the t- air temperature would cool off, there'd be a low hanging fog, uh, over the track, and so to prevent that, they said no more firewood. So. These uh, two hard charging entrepreneurs decided to set up a firewood selling stand uh, on the road leading up to the track. and they would sell people the firewood and they would drive up to the gate and the firewood would get confiscated and thrown into a pile. And one of the guys would grab all the firewood from the pile and bring it back to the fucking stand. And then they just and they did this over and over again. Um I, I mean, I don't I couldn't find any details on how many times or whatever, but I do know they did get away. Nobody caught them. They they ran away with the money, took off and ran. And then yeah, only at uh, Also no. because of the firewood ban, huh?
3: Only at Sebring. Yeah. <laughs> no.
2: uh, and then because of the firewood ban, uh, nobody had any firewood to keep warm, and the 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 temperatures that night apparently got really cold, colder than people were expecting. And so a bunch of fans started disassembling a, a like a wooden structure that was on the airport property and taking it apart to burn stuff off of it. And then they realize that that's somebody's fucking house. <laughs>
4: oh, Somebody <God>. lived there. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, the sheriff's department got a panic call from this guy saying, Hey, <laughs> they're taking my house. Apart. <laughs> and, uh,
0: <laughs>
4: so at, at that time, the airport authority rented some houses inside the track. Um, and so, the sheriff had to come and, and and try to get these people to um, uh, stop doing that. But it, it you know at it, Sebring, it's a tradition to start burning things, uh, mainly portalettes and couches. So <laughs> that's what I this hear. Sea of couches burning, and uh, somebody had towed in a Chevy Vega and sacrificed it, and it just was <laughs> giant fire. <laughs> and uh, it. it you read the uh, magazine accounts of that race and it, it there's just fires everywhere. It's, it's just bizarre. It's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a really strange thing. Another thing that was happening during the race, um, which is mildly amusing because some, some people are really troubled by this, but uh, when you have half the field drop out, you have, you know, 40 DNF cars around the circuit. Well, a lot of the fans decided to take some souvenirs and um, <laughs> some of the cars were just picked clean. Um, I mean, every part that they could was picked off it. Um, and there was, there was some other <laughs> strange, uh, incidents, um, th- of things being found. Like one of the, uh, I forget what car it was. I, I thought it was a Porsche, but I think it was, it was actually a Camaro. Um, at the end, of the, when the race was over, they, the tow trucks came out and pulled it in, and it was like stripped of everything. But there was a blow up doll sitting in the driver's seat, and
2: <laughs> I and, think I read it was a Porsche, one of the nine hundred five. Yeah, it,
4: it could have been, but it it, <laughs> it just it just crazy things during uh, the nineteen eighty three race, and um, it, you know, and the outcome was just so bizarre. The car that won, um, and that. The name Warhorse, which is in the title of the book, is is because the car had s- so much uh, competition miles uh, on it, um, and it had another fifteen thousand miles after Sebring. Um, it had almost fifty thousand competition miles before it was finally retired. Wow. The car was restored um, back to its original configuration it as a nine thirty five. Uh, that ran the, the 1979 24 hours of Le Mans. And I think it was restored to that configuration because Paul Newman drove it. You know, you have that celebrity connection. Right. Um, but it, I, I was kind of disappointed in that because I think it would have been pretty cool to restore it as the number nine, the Wayne Baker car. Um, and uh, it, it, it's just an interesting story, a fun story. I, I should add that the following year was almost as weird um, <laughs> the car that won the race the following year uh, was a 935 that actually had been leased out of a museum uh, a couple months before the race, because yep, uh, I did read that. <laughs> yeah. Mauricio de Narvez, a Colombian driver um, entered the car and his co-drivers were Stefan Johansson and Hans Heyer. And um, <laughs> through this bizarre tale of misconnections and everything they did not even arrive at the track until an hour before the start of the race they'd never seen sebring before had no idea how to drive the circuit how to drive the car so de Novarez qualified the car and he did the first um, stint but just like the previous year all the prototypes dropped out and uh they won the race uh another just crazy crazy event um so Sebring is, is known for, you know, upsets and uh, underdogs and so forth, but uh, nothing can top 83. It was, it was just so many, so many crazy things. And in the book, I go into a, a lot more things about the race and also I have quite a bit on the, the relationship of the people of Sebring to the race. Um, there's a, it's, a, it's got an interesting history. The, the local people um, have ebbed and flowed with it. I mean, they used to love the race, and they hated the race, and they loved the race, and, and, and now they love the race <laughs> again. But there was a, a lot of things that happened over the history of the race that really alienated the, the local people. Um, you know, one of the biggest things was in 1974, the fuel crisis. And um, they the local people actually demanded that the race not be held uh, because they were worried that the the fans not so much the, the the drivers would be using fuel the cars but the the fans would be coming into town and using the fuel of the, the local residents but the allocations are were already factored in fans coming in so that really wasn't true but the rate that was the only year Sebring wasn't held it was 1974 but um Thousands of fans showed up anyway, and they just came to the mm. track and partied. And that—that that is one of the Sebring's great <laughs> urban legends—is, uh, and it's a truth that that despite the race not being held, the fans showed up anyway. And uh, that's just how strong a, a Sebring tradition is. Uh, it, it's really an amazing event, and uh, a lot more professional now than it was in the '70s and '80s for sure.
3: <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, I I was there last year and was pretty surprised about, uh, you know, some of the stuff I saw. I I was warned going in, right? Like, Sebring gets a little crazy. Uh, But it wasn't until I saw, you know, the big bus rolling around with the winds, (laughs) livery on the side of it, and just, you know, guys sleeping on the side of the road on a Wednesday night. I mean, it's just par for the course, uh, I guess, out there in Sebring.
4: (laughs) Yeah, the, the Green Park, which is the, you know, crazy section if you will um has a it is, has an amazing history and it if you've never been to Saving by all means go and um uh, just walk through green park and uh you'll be you'll be uh amazed at what you see <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's uh i, I think that's uh, where you're staying this year right
4: well i i have a uh I, I mean, as, when I was a spectator, I used to stay there. And uh, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd drive my Mazda RX2 to the race and sleep in the car and, and uh, watch all the craziness. And, um, you know, and, and that in itself almost led to the demise of the race. Um, in 1980, uh, there was a, a really bad incident there. Um there was. Uh, I'm going to try to put this uh, as mildly as possible. There was a uh, a sex show took place on top of a motorhome, and <laughs> it was. F- and the photographs of that event ended up in Hustler magazine, which uh, is a you know kind of a raunchy skin magazine. I don't know if it still exists, but it- so when the people of Sebring found out, they said, "That's it. This race is done. We are not allowing this again." <laughs> and um, that incident. Actually, you know, it came within inches of killing the race, and it, it forever changed, mm-hmm. you know, the you know what went on in the spectator areas because uh, it was out of hand. Um, as I say in the book, and I quote somebody: um, ec- "Excess was excessive. Uh, it oh, it yeah. was, it was, it was just, uh, it was out of control." Um, so nowadays, I think um, it, it's it's really harmless fun. And uh, another thing is, as is, is crazy as Sebring fans are, I will say that I think um, they're probably some of the most knowledgeable people as far as sports car racing goes. They they really are into it. You know, as much as they like to party, they they, they do know what's going on for the most part.
2: <laughs> yeah, they, they are super fans. I I, uh, I enjoyed interacting with everybody last year when I went. <clears throat> Can't wait to be there again in, I don't know, we're what, 30 one ish days. Yeah.
4: March 16th. Yeah.
2: Yep. 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 So it's, it's coming time. Um, and, and you'll be there with your new book, correct?
4: Right. I'll be, uh, I'll have a book signing at the uh, gallery of legends in the paddock, which is like the little museum building. That's, uh, in the middle of the paddock. I also have a, uh, book signing over at turn 10, uh, in green park on Friday. Uh, time to be announced, but um, it uh, the book the book is available um, right now on eBay. Uh, if you just search uh, Sebring 1983 or Sebring 1983 book, it'll come up. And um, it's a lot of fun. I, I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the the first part of the book gives a history of the town of Sebring and the race, and I there's a lot of interesting things in there that you you won't. See anywhere else? Uh, the history of Sebring, the town, is is really interesting, and how how the race came to be from a World War II B seventeen training base, and and so forth. It's so there's a lot of interesting things. Uh, there's a lot of history there. It's a real uh, really cool place.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and you've I mean you've written several books on on the subject. One I believe getting you the nineteen ninety six motorsport book of the year was it? I'm I'm not saying that right. Yeah, wrong.
4: I, yeah, it was <laughs> – uh, my first book was – Automotive
2: just, book of the year.
4: Right, <laughs> right. First book was on the, just a the general history of the, the Tolar Sebring, 1996. I can't believe it's that long ago. Um, and I've done some other um, books. Uh, my next one's going to be on the 1966 uh, Sebring race, which uh, is a very uh, historic event uh, for a number of reasons a very tragic event, um, but mm-hmm. it, it really shaped the, the future of sports car racing in the U S. Um, so that's, that's the next project.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, uh, I, I can't, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on the show and, and sharing this story with us. Uh, I, I hope my two co-hosts here enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, <clears throat> so, and, and again, can't wait to go pick up your book in Sebring at the gallery. It was a gallery of legends, right? It was gallery, okay, of, legends. The in gallery the, of legends in the paddock. I will. I will one hundred percent be there. I might be covered in some tire grease, but you know what? <laughs> it, it's, it is a racetrack, right? Um, is uh is do you have any social media accounts or anything that you would like people to follow? Or
4: yeah, I have a Facebook page which is Sebring Twelve Hours History or uh, Twelve Hours of Sebring History. And um, uh, there's a lot of cool old photos and things posted on there, and um, there's information on the book. So uh, check out that Facebook page. And um, uh, like I said, it, the the book is available on eBay. It's not available on Amazon, just eBay. So uh, <laughs> uh, I think I think even if you're not like a hardcore sports car fan, it, it's just a lot of funny things, and it's it's pretty amusing. Uh, some of the incidents that I didn't mention. Uh, so. Yeah. Check don't want out. to
2: give too much away. Right.
4: Yeah.
2: So, well, again, thank you so, so much for uh, joining us today. And now I'm going to hand it back over to uh, Jordan for our outro.
1: Yeah. No, thank you very much, Ken, for coming on as, as somebody who I'm, I'm only just dabbling into sports car racing as a whole over the last few years. And my accent kind of gives away the fact that my knowledge over American sports car racing might be a little bit lacking in that regard. So as someone who only who fought the strangest thing to end up on the track during a Sebring 12 hours, gazebo, um, a gazebo, a hitchhiker, <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to pick up that book. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, we'll be sure to link uh, Sebring 1983, the warhorse and the hitchhiker on our social medias and we'll, um, we'll link to to your pages as well. Um, in the meantime, um, As I said at the start of this half, make sure you're following us at Into the Paddock with the number two on Twitter and Instagram. That way you can stay up to date when our latest episodes go live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, We are also on our own individual social media channels. I'm uh, Jay Groves1996 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Greg, where can we find you?
2: Uh, Speed Rat Racing. That's everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, all that stuff. Uh, Sorry. Excuse me. Um Wednesday, Valentine's Day, join me on Twitch for uh, CSRL uh sim racing while I ignore my
3: girlfriend. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's that. Fantastic. And JD, where can we find you? Uh
3: you can find me uh on YouTube at JD55
1: SimRacing and on Twitter at pedantic scroll one R. Superb. Well that about does it for this week's episode. In the meantime, enjoy Valentine's Day or enjoy ignoring your significant other to watch Greg's stream. Um, Next week, we will have the Daytona 500, amongst other things, because that's rolled around really quickly, Um, from one Super Bowl to the one that we all care about, really, let's be honest. But until then, thank you for listening to the Into the Padded podcast, and we will see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Into the Padded by the ITA Podcast Network. Join us next time for more provocative motorsport talk.